not that one. All right, Colossians chapter 3. Now, um, most of us, we live in the Western world, our wardrobe is usually pretty full. We've got, um, uh, I don't know if you went yesterday or maybe today and you, you saw all the shoes that we had down at the car boot sale. Well, somebody had a lot of shoes, and I know that somebody doesn't have as many shoes as other somebody's. There's, there, people just have lots of things. And so when we look at our lifestyle, when we look at our, the way we live, we need to understand that they're, they're, we're constantly going into the closet of our mind and the closet of our attitudes, and we're picking out the same clothes all the time. You know, the wrong clothes. Um, when Paul writes about the way the Christian life lives their life, he talks about it like putting off and putting on clothes. So if you will, um, uh, look at chapter 3 and verse 8 here. It says, but now you also put off. It's like you're putting off a jacket or putting off your, your the day's clothes. He says, put off all these. And he lists anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. And verse 9 says, stop lying. Lie not one to another. So these uh, these are kind of serious things that we're supposed to stop doing. Um, a, uh, 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 a Christian who's got a problem with anger and wrath, malice. What's another? What's a modern word for malice? Meanness. It's just being mean. You just just you just you know, Mister Grumpy. Um, well, that's, that's a wrong thing for a Christian to have. You know, children surrounded themselves around Jesus because he was not an angry man. Uh, there was a, there was a joy about Jesus. Doesn't, you don't find him ever telling a joke. You don't find him ever just happy-go-lucky. But there was a joy around him, not anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. You know, uh, uh, the world has such a, a filthy use of the tongue. And, and the way is not just filthy, it's blasphemous. The things that people say and the way they live. Uh, and then he lists filthy communication out of your mouth. Look at that modern word, communication. I mean, that's all we talk about is communication. You know, we communicate over fiber optic networks and microwave, um, uh, antennas and radio frequencies and mobile home freak, mobile home, mobile, <laughs> mobile phone frequencies and things. Communication and it's filthy everywhere else. These things shouldn't be in the life of a Christian, especially lying. And I said a couple weeks ago, I said one of the most awful sins, you say that there's some wicked sins, and there are wicked sins, but one of the most awful sins a Christian can be comfortable with is lying. Right now, um, and it's one of the hardest sins to actually get the victory over. You know that. You think anger's hard, lying is harder. Because you get so used to thinking that no, it doesn't matter that you don't actually tell the whole truth, or that you don't, you actually don't, you know, uh, tell them, uh, tell somebody if they ask you a question, um, uh, uh, the the truth. You just you sort of shade it, you you downplay it, you you put a spin on it, and you play the politician. And the Bible tells us to put off all of those things, and you know what the problem with all those things? We're comfortable with them. These are things that that we really I. Uh, uh, I have no problem with being angry. Amen? Now, my conscience tells me, stop it. Amen? But when I get mad, I feel like I'm justified. Don't look at me like I'm the only one. All right? I, and, and, and it'll get to it at the place where it, pulls, it fulfills itself in wrath and just meanness. Christians uh, who have a, 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 a bad attitude just don't belong. Don't belong 
uh, it, they just don't mix together. So, Bible tells us to put off all those uh, those sins, and then it says we put them off so that we can start wearing the eight great replacements. So these six things can be replaced. Look at verse twelve and thirteen. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, and he lists eight of them: bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even any, even as Christ forgave you, also do ye. And above all these things, put on, what's the last one? Charity, which is the bond, the glue of perfectness. So, there are eight things that overwhelm the six things I'm usually comfortable with. And I cannot put on these things until I do what with these, these eight things? Until I do what with these six things? Until I put them off. Alright? So, um, we're, we're talking about um, uh, putting on after we have put off. Now, tell me, somebody hurts you. Somebody says something that just stabs you. Somebody does something, takes advantage of you, and hurts you deeply. How do you normally react? Bang, 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 bang. That list. So, which list is a better response to the hurt, the pain, the mockery, the attacks, the frustration that we face in normal life. Which one's better? It's an obvious answer. Come on, somebody tell me. Left or right? Which one? Okay, they're on the right side. But which one are we most nor- normally responding with? All right, so let me tell you a little story about the Garda and the military. And most any organization that we consider professional, a doctor... Did you know a doctor doesn't just learn how to do surgery or to to stick, you know, a, um, a um, um, tongue depressor on your tongue and look in your ears? A doctor has to spend time being taught how to react to people. A a a guard who is who is walking down the street and somebody comes up and 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 uh, you know is, uh, says something that is unkind to him and mocks them. You ever seen these guys who stand at Buckingham Palace and they got that stupid poofy hat? You know, they're standing there and people come around there and they go, and they make fun of them and they try to get them to laugh or to twitch or something like that. They are trained how to respond by being drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled. So if I say to Patrick, you know, Patrick, you're the ugliest guy I ever met. Okay, now his natural response would be, well, you're ugly too. Um, if, if I come along and I push somebody, the natural response of, response of that person is to push back, correct? So we usually respond in the way we've been hurt. So the Christian takes a list like this and says, what's the purpose of the list? It's to drill. So that when, when the hurt comes, when the words are said, when the emotions swell and, and become so powerful in us, we choose not to wear that. We choose not to respond the way we normally do. And we choose to respond this way. So, here's a doctor. And you and I, I don't know about you, but at least me, I could never be a doctor because I would throw up all the time. I have been in the hospital. I've seen people in pieces. And I can't stay in the room. I kind of empathize with them. I feel it here. And it moves up the chest. and bleh. 
So I'm, I'm telling you, a doctor has to learn how that when a, a person is pulled out of a car and is brought in on the trolley and they are bleeding, they are dying, and the doctor goes into what's called professional mode. And they don't, they don't feel, you say, they're not very caring. Well, they very, they really care because if they cared, they go, I can't do this. But what they do instead is they go into the professional mode and they know, all right, we need 10 cc's of this. We need to get a, 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 um, um, a um, strap to, to um, protect their head and their neck. And they know exactly how to handle it. And you appreciate the professionalism of doctors. You pro- appreciate the professionalism of a guard, especially an armed guard. Can you imagine an armed guard who just gets provoked? And <laughs> you know, it's kind of nice when people don't have guns because we'd be killing each other all the time over offenses. So here's here's the response of, of Paul saying, your normal response is anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. Think about our lives, how we blaspheme God. Fill the communication out of your mouth and all lying. And I need to get to where when somebody hurts me, I respond this way. Does that just magically happen, is my summary. It does not. You say, I'm saved. How come I still, when I stub my toe, how come I still curse? You ever asked yourself that? How come when somebody um, uh, takes advantage of me, I just want to kill them? Why? It's because it's normal. It's called the old man. That's still very much alive in you. And you've got to put on the new man, which is on the right. So, um, I want to say this. By the way, there is no culture or nationality stopping you from having any of those better attitudes. Well, we just don't do that in our culture. Where I, look at your Bible in Colos- uh, back at, here in Colossians, and look at verse 10. And you've put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Kind of fancy words that just basically you renew it the more you get to know Jesus. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew now. Circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. So the culture in Ireland, I have to be honest with you, is a filthy mouth. The culture, the Irish culture, and I thought American culture was filthy, and it is. But I have been so surprised at the words that come out of young Irish kids. I thought, I bet your parents don't know what you're saying. So the culture may say, well, we don't, we always respond a certain way. And I'm going to tell you, don't respond the way your culture tells. Don't say, well, we Scythians, we do this. Well, we barbarians, we always do this, you know. Well, we circumcise. No, Christ. That's how I want to respond. It's Christ's word. So from the moment you got saved, you put on a whole new life. Let's get to three points here and we'll be finished tonight. John chapter 14 and verse 23. Hold in your place in Colossians. I'll show you a great scripture. John chapter 14 and verse 23. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, He'll keep my words. He'll obey my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. What does abode mean? I'll make my home. But he says, we are going to come in to that person. From the moment you got saved, you put on a whole new life, you put on a, a, a new man, you put, you actually had God himself in you. 
made you an entirely new person. Um, I don't fully understand it, but one, one minute I was Craig Ledbetter on my way to hell, and the next minute I was St. Craig. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God by the grace of God and by the, the new birth. I do not fully understand it. There is a new you inside the old you. That blows my mind. Ponder it for a moment. You know, if only we didn't have the old us anymore. But if we didn't have the old us, we wouldn't be here. So God sort of keeps the old us until it dies. And I want to say this. You actually have two of everything in you. And this is really maybe helpful. You have two hearts now. One is worldly, where it is attracted to the world. Do you ever find yourself in a song that I grew up with music from the late 60s through the 70s. I got saved in the 80s, and then it stopped. I don't know these stupid singers that have been going around and are more popular to this current generation. My mem- I memorized words and rhythms of songs from the late 60s up until the late 70s and early 80s when I got saved. So when I'm somewhere and those songs come on, all of a sudden I remember every word, and I enjoy it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Not that I like the fact that I'm enjoying it, but there's something about my old nature that just remembers the memory of that song on the radio. I used to sit there and record. Was anybody else this way with cassette tapes? I recorded what was playing on the radio. And it was just, it was just the way things were. Folks, I have two hearts now. Now I have a, a different heart. I have a heart that loves God. I have a heart that loves this book. I have a heart that loves God's people. I have a heart that loves soul winning. And the two of those hearts don't get along. Are you with me? It's not not like I no longer like that music. You know, um, Buddy Blanco tells the story. He says, uh, uh, um, how does he say it? He says, um, the, the problem with sin is we love it. Even after we're saved. Because our old heart just is wired to it like a metal to a magnet. We not only have two hearts, we have two minds. We have two ways of thinking. One is our mind. It's my mind. It's your mind. But the other is whose mind? Christ. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind which was in Christ be also in you. Let it be in charge of you. So we have two minds. We also have two rewards. Things that you do down here on earth. They're earthly rewards, and they crumble, and they fade. And you also have heavenly rewards. There are two directions you can walk. You can go your way, or you can go God's way. There are two sets of eyes that every Christian has. One that only sees by sight, and the other that sees by faith. We have two ways of living. We can live for ourselves, or we can live for Jesus. We have two ways of dying. What are you talking about? You can die miserable and backslidden like King Saul. You ever think about that? What an unfortunate man. I mean, he, here's a guy who was picked out of an, out of, out of a, a group of nobodies. He's, he, they had to go looking for him. They had to drag him up and they made him king. He had all the power in, in, in Israel. He was honored. People, people sacrificed their life for him. And he was a miserable man almost every day of his life. Is that how you want to die? You say, well, I'm saved. Do you know, Christians die miserable. Not because of Christ, but because They've got, they, they, they've got no goal in life to live for Christ. So they die miserable, or you can die like the Apostle Paul, he says. I'm sitting here in prison. 
I haven't had a bath in three months. I stink. I'm, I have sores. I can't see. But whew, the time of my departure is, ha- is at hand. I can't wait to see Jesus. He dies in victory. Two of everything now in you. So secondly, from the moment you got saved, you got this whole new life alongside your old life. Secondly, putting off the old man allows for the wearing of the new man. We'll say this again in verse 10. Verse 10, it says, and have put on the new man. So which came first? Down there in verse uh, uh, verse 8 says, but now you also put off all these. In verse 10, and have put on. So which do you do first? All right, you put off some things so that you can put on some things. So you choose which man you're going to wear throughout every day. I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't describe. I try to be very technical. I try to be hyper-theological. You know what Paul wants? For everybody to get the idea of taking off that attitude that you normally wear and putting on the right one. You choose which man, your old man or new man, which one you're going to wear. This is why some Christians grow and some Christians crumble and fade away. This is why some Christians live in victory and some remain victims. This is why some Christians have joy and others just want to die. Because they take the responsibility for which mind they use, which attitude they feed, and which heart they love with. Now, first Peter, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Holding your place here. 1 Peter chapter 3. There's not a woman in this room who's married who hadn't wanted to strangle their husband or at least poison them once. <laughs> and yet, 1 Peter chapter 3 gives us a great illustration of the way that a godly wife responds to a stubborn, arrogant, hard-headed, come on ladies, talk to me, um, uh, um, wicked man. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any man, if any obey not the word, they still may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wise. While they behold your chaste conversation. Anybody want to take a risk and tell me what chaste means? Now, my wife was chaste by me when she was, when I was trying to marry her, but that's not what we're talking about. What does chaste mean? Say again? It actually has the ultimate meaning of pure, but there's a, there's a, a simpler, more practical. Yes, ma'am? Good. It is a restrained. It's what it means. Chaste means restrained. So by their restraint, and, and when you hear, like my mom would look at me and go, I, I am so angry, I can't see straight. Now what she was doing was she was just restraining <laughs> what she wanted to do. So by their chaste conversation, when a man is a fool and acts like a jerk and is very hurtful and rude, and the wife goes, I'm not going to kill him. <laughs> That's a chaste conversation coupled with fear. Fear of who? Who do we need to fear? God. Verse 3, who's adorning, let it not be with that outward adorning. So the clothes, and he actually uses, Peter uses the same illustration, but this time he says, don't go and try to manipulate your husband by plating your hair and wearing of gold and putting on of apparel, which is exactly what women of old throughout history have done. Women know the power they have in their looks, and they go, if I'm going to get anything out of this man who's not watching me, is I'll get his attention. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get what I want from him by manipulating him through my come to me or rejection or whatever. And he says, don't do that. Verse 4, he says, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. Let them see that hidden man in which is not corruptible. 
even the ornament of a what kind of a spirit? Two words, what are they? Meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of great price. So tell me, talk to me, somebody come on, wake up for me for just a few more minutes before we finish here tonight. What attitude would a woman normally have who's married to a man who won't obey God? Scornful, good word, something else. Anger, discouraged, how about bitter? What else? Contentious, ooh, that's a Bible word. Okay, that has to be put off, would you agree? And what is she supposed to put on? Somebody tell me, what are the words that are here that are supposed to be put on? Meek. What does meek mean? Okay, it actually uh, involves humility, but it also means softness. Now, you can be very strong. You can see a guy, and he can lift 225 kgs with one hand, and he can still crack an egg. He can still pick up a kitty cat and go, ooh, look. He can still be gentle. Um, what else? Meek. What does quiet mean? What does quiet mean? Meek and quiet spirit? Okay, silent. Okay. But I don't know. Man, sometimes silent treatment's the worst treatment in the world. What are you going to say? Good. So quiet doesn't actually always mean silent, although it's not a bad thing sometimes to not say anything. But quiet just means say it quietly. Soft answer turneth away wrath. So wait a minute, I've got two scenarios here. One scenario that is bitter, angry, contentious, and another one that's meek and quiet and gentle and uh, a soft answer. Um, which one am I going to wear? Which one am I going to put on? All right, now if I want to put it on, what do I have to what do I have to do with what is already present in me? I have to put it off. I have to actually put some distance between me. This is, what are we doing? Why are you telling me this, Pastor? This is training time. This is us saying, all right, this is what I have to do. So you will be tested. You're going to go home and one of the kids is going to start fighting. Kids are going to, um, uh, I don't know, pull something out of the fridge and it's going to break and it's going to be tomorrow's dinner or whatever. And you're going to get upset. You're going to have to stop and go, wait a minute. <sighs> and you're going to have to put off how you normally would respond and decide, what is my right response? What is my right response? And it is only going to happen by training. God doesn't sprinkle magic dust on you and you go, oh, I know exactly how to do this. You don't. You have to train and drill. Now, your decisions, when you put off the old man and put on the new man, have to be renewed every day. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 22, 4.22, using the same words, and he says this, that she put off concerning the former conversation, those old words and old lifestyles. You put off the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You know what the problem is? Every morning you're going to wake up and you're going to wish that the decisions you made yesterday stuck. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Now, I don't know all the reasons why. I wish that the one decision where I decide I'm just going to love my wife, even though she's just ornery, even though she's just uh, angry at me. I'm just going to love her. I wish that tomorrow, I wish it would just stay that way. But it doesn't. 
I have to make a decision. If not every day, how about every hour? So, it's a constant renewing, recharging. How many have a cell phone? How many have a mobile phone? Let me see your hand. How many have a mobile phone that lasts more than a day without a charge? Usually it's a flip phone that lasts more than a day. All the other phones, they run out in a day and a half, don't they? All right, just remember this. Your efforts to respond right drain you. And you're going to have to renew every day the same decision. Lord, I need your help to do it again today. (laughs) And then again tomorrow. So, uh, we no longer have to worry about what we are. What do I mean by that? What are we? No, we are sinners, but I no longer have to be worried about being a sinner now. I no longer, what am I now that I'm saved? Kind of my, I see it was a trick question. You're exactly right, but I'm also, I am a Christian. I am secure. I don't have to worry about trying to perform, trying to earn God's forgiveness and earn God's acceptance. I don't have to worry about what I am anymore. What do I have to worry? What I'm going to wear. It's like adopting. Now, there's a lot of confusion about adoption, and there's a lot of bad history about adoption. Some kids never really do well being adopted. Some parents have real problems with adoption. Let me tell you, when a proper relationship is built, when a child is adopted into a home, that child who has gone around from house to home to home and been in foster children for all, been a foster child most of their life or been in foster families for so many years, when they finally are adopted, how do you think they feel? In some ways relieved, but in their mind they go, I wonder if this will last. Do you know when you've been adopted, it's supposed to be you should never have to worry again. You're now home. You're accepted. And let me say, when you got born again, you were adopted. You were accepted in God's family. You no longer have to be worried about about being accepted, just like that child no longer has to worry about what name they wear now. They now are your child. They now are your son or your daughter. All they have to do is in the morning get up and decide what are they going to wear. (laughs) Amen. This is my bed. This is my home. This is my room. I'm accepted. What am I going to wear today? And you have to get up every day and not worry about, does God, is God pleased with you? Is he going to be angry with you? Is he going to send you off into eternity in hell? No, you don't have to worry about any of that. What you need to worry about is, what are you going to wear as a Christian? What attitude are you going to have? So, we put this on and we live as elect. Now go back, go to Colossians chapter 3. We wear clothes as if we're somebody. Look at this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. Now, you put it on as if you're somebody. Um, Go to, we've got a couple of scriptures to go to. Romans chapter 11. Stay with me. Romans chapter 11 and verse 28. Starting in verse 26, it says this, Romans eleven twenty-six, And so all Israel shall be what? As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So Paul says, verse 28, is concerning the gospel, they, Israel, are enemies for your sakes. 
but it's touching the election, they are what? They're beloved for the Father's sakes. What does that mean? How can they still be beloved when they are so wicked, when they crucified Jesus, when they rejected him? I'll show you. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy, this is why I don't like Calvinists, and that's why I don't like most modern religions and most dominant religions, because they all want to take the place of Israel, and they all want to claim all the promises that were given to Israel and say, oh, I, Israel's nobody, I'm somebody. And that is arrogant pride. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 15. Only the Lord had a delight Speaking to the Jews, he said, Only the Lord had to delight in thy fathers to love them. And he chose their seed. Speaking of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it says he chose their descendants after them, even you. He chose you people above all people as it is this day. Go back to chapter 7 and verse 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 7. Israel are the elect, the people of God. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, The Lord did not set His love upon you, Jews, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you. That's the only reason why He did it. And because He would keep the oath, that sworn promise which He had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So why does God love you? Because he decided to. Speaking to the Jews first. Now what is true is, you know what, now that I've been born again, I'm in the same position as God's people, the Jews are. I need to live like it. I need to act like it. I need to dress like it. That's the point. So we, 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 we respond, we act, we talk like we're somebody now. We're not just some Gentiles living over in Ireland. We're part of God's elect. We are peculiar people. We are different. So he says there, put on as the elect of God. Now there are eight powerful replacements. I'm just going to um, uh, uh, re- read these things again. I'm going to ask you to do something for me by next Sunday night, if you wouldn't mind. I'd like you to look up in a dictionary. I don't know if I have them here, but I probably have them here. I think I do. Ah, drat. I should have left it blank. But anyway, it was very, very helpful for me. You think that you know what such and such is until you look it up in the dictionary. You know, I didn't know that meant that. I'll show you what I mean here in just a second. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. That's who we are. Wow. Eight things, he says, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So there are eight powerful replacements, I've already said, but the bowels of mercies blew me away. Bowels of mercies are when you show compassion for those that don't deserve it, and you do it from the gut. You don't do it just, well, all right, I forgive you. But there's there's something, and we'll talk about it next week, about the depth of compassion. Then there is kindness. Now, kindness are acts of goodwill. We talk about random acts of kindness. All right, kindness just means it's an act where you do something good for someone. Put on that. 
What does he say? Who are we supposed to be kind to? Our enemies. Pretty tough. Put on kindness. Put on humbleness of mind. And this is brilliant. Humbleness of mind. What we normally do is we think so much of ourselves, we think so little of other people. And we really think so little of what... Let me say it differently. We think so low of others because they think so low of us. Does that make sense? God says, no, humbleness of mind says, esteem them better than yourself anyway. I don't like that. I don't naturally do that. If they think low of me, I think low of them. Humbleness of mind. Meekness, which is softness of temper. Long-suffering is the ability to put up with someone patiently even though they're hurting you. Forbearance. (laughs) To forbear means to hold back from reacting to hurts. And forgiveness, which is paying for an injury yourself. That's okay, I'll take care. If you ever forgive somebody, you actually are the one paying for their wrong. And then charity. Selfless love. Absolutely. You know what's great about these lists? Paul just writes it. He just keeps writing and you say, stop! I don't even know what those words mean. And you ponder them. So next week we're going to look at those things. And we're going to just take two sections here and let it just become where I want to have bowels of mercies. I want to have kindness. I want to, I want the way I think to be humble. Softness of temper. Don't lose your temper. <laughs> Keep it soft. Long suffering, fair. All right. So, some questions. I ask you some questions. Number one, does my old nature ever go away? Not while I'm breathing. No. One day we'll say goodbye, world goodbye, and our old flesh and our old man will finally be dead. Till death do us part is really true in that statement. Secondly, is it easy to put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth and all lying? I'm asking you, do you believe it's easy to do that? Now, the best thing you can ever have is to grow up in a home where they constantly drilled you and they constantly replaced what was what was natural and put in the supernatural and taught you about Jesus. That's a great way to grow up where some people never have problems with those six things. But most of us grew up with the opposite. You now have two of everything at work in you. List some. Somebody tell me, what are the two things that are in every believer now? Two hearts. What else did you say, John? Hearts, okay. That was the first thing. That's good. What else? You have two sets of eyes. We see with the eyes of faith versus eyes of of physical faith. We have two minds. Which one do you think we normally use more? I I hate that. So I've got to do a lot of drilling so that I'm not thinking what I normally think. Okay? What else? How about two directions? We have have two of everything. When when the Lord... uh, Colossians chapter... Go to chapter 1 and verse 27... Colossians 127, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. What? Something's rich? Something's glorious? What's the mystery among the Gentiles? Which is Christ where? In you, the hope of glory. So there's a part of me that is almost perfect. Are you ready? Talk to me. There's a part of me that is absolutely perfect. Knows exactly what to say. How to react. And there's a part of me that... Is almost never perfect. And I choose which one I yield to, which one I give attention to, which one I want to wear. Uh, okay. 
Who's the elect? Point to somebody. <laughs> you're the elect. Now, don't get the idea that you're the elect at the expense of the Jews. That's what religions do. Religions come along. That's why the fighting over there in, in the Middle East has gone on for the last 3,000 years because the Muslims wanted it and then the Catholics wanted it. Um, and uh, uh, the fighting was on um, uh, uh, who, who owns it. And you know who owns it? God does. And God put uh, Israel in there. They're the elect. Last question. Somebody list one of the eight great replacements. Somebody say it louder. Bowels of mercy. Bowels of mercy. Now, where are your bowels? That's your gut. I got an article I was reading just this last week. Your mind is not all there. <laughs> That's a cute statement because you believe it. Anyway, your mind is actually also in your gut. There is, your mind has got an extension of itself in what, so that's why what you eat affects how you think. So the, when you have these, these gut feelings of empathy, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. What else? What else? Kindness. What else? Long suffering? Charity. Charity, which is the bond of perfectness. We'd say the perfect bonding. Something else? Forgiveness. Meekness. What was that? Humbleness of mind? Would you say? Forbearing one another? All right. The whole goal of this was to get you to see both sides. It's kind of going into your, your closet and saying, all right, there are six things that I normally wear. There are eight things I never wear. I'm going to wear the eight that I am supposed to wear. Not all at the same time. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I thank you for your word. And the challenge is for us to see things very simply. I'm glad you, I'm glad you wrote the Bible because you write it for all generations. We don't need it to be written for the 21st century. We need the 21st century to read a first century book and to live like that again. And I want to live like that. I'm too prone to be Craig instead of respond like Christ. And I'm sorry. And I ask God that we would take it very, very soberly that these things are in us. Not only the six normal sins, but also the eight responses because Christ is in us. May we learn over the next few weeks how to yield to Christ and the benefit of letting you be in charge. It's so much better than our, our old responding way and our, so our, our old way of living. I pray to help us so that in the end we die a victor instead of a victim. In Jesus' name, amen.